The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through mission, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. The scripture reading for this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We're starting a new sermon series yet again, so uh, we like to keep you on your toes. We finished Jonah three weeks ago, we did two weeks of Ruth, and now we're doing Isaiah. So um, some of you may never have heard of those books before, but we are studying them uh, here in these next couple weeks. Uh, and we have just begun Advent, which is this uh, season of uh, four Sundays before Christmas. And what we're doing uh, for uh, our preaching series is going through that same passage the next four weeks. Uh, so you'll hear a lot about it. And what we're doing is looking at the four names of Jesus. And this morning we'll look at the name Wonderful Counselor. Uh, one of my favorite, I'm not a huge country music fan, one of my favorite songwriters though is Tom Douglas. Uh, he's written songs um, like The House That Built Me by Miranda Lambert, um, songs for Chris Stapleton, Lady Annabellum, Keith Urban, uh, Kenny Chesney, and some other average Joes. And uh, he's amazing, but what makes him uh, great is uh, how he sees the process of songwriting. And for him, he went uh, to Hill Detention Center in Nashville, a local jail, and he taught a songwriting class with seven inmates. And he taught this songwriting class in the prison with these seven inmates, and read, they read The Great Gatsby, and they sat in a circle and talked about the creative process. And about that whole experience, uh, he said um, this whole entire um, process of songwriting is you start with an emotion. And he says it could be home, loneliness, brokenness, joy, a number of different emotions. And really, from that, a song comes to life. I'm really trying to get these inmates to tell their story. So there are seven guys who have to encapsulate their entire life story in four lines encapsulate their whole entire life story in four lines. 
And this is what we see from Isaiah. That's why we're studying this same passage over and over again, because there's four names all are described and attributes to Jesus and give hope to his coming. And so um, I'm going to pray, but um, I'm going to leave a few minutes for just silence. Uh, I don't know what you need this Christmas season, but I know you need something just like Jesus did. And so uh, let's spend the next few moments in prayer. We're going to look today as Jesus being the wonderful comforter. And what that means in a, in a land of darkness and gloom, like how that's a hope. So this morning, how do you need Jesus to be a wonderful comforter? Let's just pray for a few moments and then uh, I'll pray for us. of you, we need you to be those names. And so these next four weeks as we look at them, would you show us by the power of your Holy Spirit uh, how you offer life. And Christmas is not something just seasonal. It's not something just uh, that is riddled and full of tradition or nostalgia, but it's something, Lord, that we celebrate every year because you need life every year in its season and station. So, wonderful counselor, be with us this very day, we ask in your name. Amen. So, we're going to look at Jesus as the wonderful counselor. Uh, now, it's just two words, and we're going to look at a few different places in Scripture uh, this morning as we see him uh, be that. And first, uh, we'll look at why we need counsel. Second, uh, what kind of counsel. And third, why his counsel. So, first, uh, why we need counsel. Isaiah is writing uh, to a people in this backdrop of pain. Nationally, the people of Israel that he's writing to are experiencing things like, in verse 4 and 5, things like oppression, yoke of burden, and their war songs. And personally, Isaiah is writing as a prophet who three chapters before in Isaiah 6 is told by God, you will be my prophet, and I will give you my words to the world. And he says to this prophet, and actually, no one's going to listen to you. And actually, no one's going to uh, respond to you, and people will hate you. And actually, you're going to pay the ultimate price for the words that you say, and this is your job. And he takes it up, and these are the words that we see three chapters later. Th- these words of um, hope amidst gloom and darkness. These are things that are felt in their day amidst a war-torn burden, gloomy, dark Israel, and things that surely we feel in our day as well. They needed to remember the place of pain and how it is orchestrated in their life. And they needed to know the people of Israel, as they're war-torn, as they're burdened, they need to remember that their God is actually greater than the pain they feel. That their God is greater than the pain and the season they feel. Henry Nowen, in the 20th century, was this uh, notable uh, professor. He taught at Notre Dame, Harvard, and Yale. He was also this author, 
he was also uh, a Catholic priest. And between uh, December of 1987 and June of 1988, he kept this secret journal. He is this amazing mind, an amazing heart, and filled with uh, wisdom. And yet, in these few months of the late 80s, he was filled with gloom and darkness of doubt, of anger. He left the academia world and took up residence in a community of developmentally disabled adults. And Henry Nowen, who was this, this somebody, went from being a nobody and went to serve these people who didn't even know his name. And he described this transition season as something of deep anguish. He chose to go, and it cost him greatly. And in this season of figuring out how much it would cost him, he said it was, it was of deep anguish. And this secret journal was later published. It was called uh, The Inner Voice of Love. And in The Inner Voice of Love, Henry Nowen says this. Henry Nowen says, There are two extremes to avoid. Being completely absorbed in your pain and being completely distracted by so many things that you stay away from the wound you want healed. So he's saying, uh, there's two things you should avoid. One, being loving your pain, being all in it. The second to avoid is this idea of keeping it so far away that it's impossible to be healed. And he says there has to be something different. And you and I don't have to search long to know that there's pain. So I would invite you into this some kind of imagination of what is your relationship with your pain? Is it something you love and fester over? Or is it something rather that it's just keep it arm's length? Keep it there's a hurricane right there. Just keep it far from you. So yes, there is darkness outside of us. There is. But there's actually something more going on with ourselves. Hebrews 3 talks about uh, Jesus as the greater Moses. The author of Hebrews is saying Jesus is this one uh, who, who took uh, the people of Israel and he's guiding them through their wilderness. Just like Moses took the people of Israel from Egypt and is guiding them through the wilderness, the promised land. And the author of Hebrews is trying to tell his audience, don't be like them. And he says in Hebrews 3, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceit. So, is there brokenness in the world? Yes. But the author of Hebrews is saying, there's something involved with our own hearts. That when we hear God's voice, there is something that shuts off And we have to address that, because hearing is not simply an ear issue, it's a heart issue. As we filter through the voices that we hear, it's a heart issue. And so, darkness in the world? Yes. Confusion and hardness in our own lives? Yes. Why do we need counseling? Because both of those things exist. And yet the wonderful counselor comes to address both of those things. This week in the New York Times... Tish Warren posted this article, and she said, to practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache, our deep, wordless desire for things to be made right and the incompleteness we find in the meantime. We dwell in a world still racked with conflict, 
violence and suffering darkness. Advent holds space for our grief and it reminds us that all of us, in one way or another, are not only wounded by the evil in this world, but also are wielders of it. So, we need deep counsel that addresses us. Addresses us in our world, but addresses us as our persons. We're in deep need of it. But we need something that's great and powerful and crucial. Not just good advice. We need clarity. We need peace. We need stillness. We need many things. So, uh, Jesus is described as the wonderful counselor. And we need that. But the second idea of what kind of counseling does that involve? Counseling does that involve? And Isaiah writes and says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the first word that describes this son is wonderful counselor. Uh, wonderful being this idea of redemption is brought, and counselor being this idea of wisdom. Right? Life done well, he knows how life is supposed to be, this orchestration of, of good life. So wonderful and redeeming. Counselor wisdom. My friend Brian Salter shared with me this quote as he was studying this same exact passage this week, and he says that he found something from the old 18th century preacher Charles Spurgeon. He says, Spurgeon points out why we need Christ as a wonderful counselor. Spurgeon says, it was by a counselor that this world was ruined. Did not Satan make himself in the serpent and counsel the woman with exceeding craftiness that she should take unto herself of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the hope that thereby she should be God? Was it not by evil counsel which provoked our mother to rebel against her maker and did it not effect of sin bring death into this world and we feel its woe? Ah, beloved, it was to meet the world we have a counselor to destroy it. It had a counselor to destroy it. It was by counsel it fell, and certainly without counsel it could never arise. What Spurgeon is saying is the deepest need of our heart is caused by a brokenness from bad counsel. So, of course, what, what uh, is caused by bad counsel is solved by bad counsel. Jesus comes as a wonderful counselor because he's coming to address the very thing that humanity has always felt, a brokenness that's from bad counsel, bad advice, bad wisdom. In John 11, we see what kind of counsel is needed for humanity. Jesus' friend Lazarus has just died. And Jesus goes to his weeping, grieving, mourning family. And Lazarus has two sisters, Martha and Mary. Both sisters say the exact same thing to Jesus, and there are two responses, two different responses. First, uh, Martha goes to Jesus and says, If you had been here, Jesus, my brother wouldn't have died. And what he says to her is, Your brother will rise again. She says, I know he will rise again, right? She had hope. She said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. What he's telling her is a reminder of this truth. I am the resurrection.
resurrection. That's what she needs to know. Just verses later, he talks to the other grieving sister. It's Mary. And, and here's what it says. He just comes to her and it says, She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come alongside her also weeping, he was moved deeply in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they said. And in verse 35, Jesus said, what, Martha, what Mary needed in that instance was to have Jesus sit with her and weep. To say the exact same thing to her. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. To Martha, she gets truth. To Mary, she gets tears. Jesus, as the wonderful counselor, is so in tune to a human's heart that he knows their very needs. Martha needed to be reminded, you need to be pulled out of your heart's flow into my heart's flow and be reminded this resurrection you talk about and hope for is here in me. And for Mary, what she needed to be to, to see and experience is this Jesus who is sucked down into her sorrow and grief and cries with her and says, no word, there's no advice, there's no truth, there's no lesson, it's all tears. Humanity cannot survive without both truth and tears. And Tim Keller points out that Jesus is committed equally to the ministry of truth and the ministry of tears. That's what his counsel includes. Why? Because he knows and he's attuned with every single human heart to give what they need. So, is Christ duplicitous? Truth versus tears? No, no, no. He's aware. He's full of wisdom as the counselor, yet full of power as the wonderful counselor. Where in your life do you need to know Jesus? This thing inside of me and this thing outside of me is so broken. And you as the wonderful counselor say something about it and do something about it, whether it's truth, tears, or something else. What is that in your life that begs for the wonderful counselor to do something that addresses the acute nature of the brokenness you experience? Ministry of truth without tears is brutal. We would never listen to it. Ministry of tears without truth is hopeless. It's just emptiness. And yet Jesus does both. I mentioned Henry Nouwen just a moment ago. Elsewhere, Henry Nouwen says this about compassion. Jesus, as the wonderful counselor, has compassion. And Henry Nouwen says, Compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into the place of pain. To share in brokenness, fear, confusion, anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out to those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. Advent is this waiting for something to come. And what we see is this Son being given. This full immersion into what it means to be fully human. 
in that full humanity, in that full immersion of compassion, it includes truth and tears, because that's the kind of counseling you need. This week, I texted Keithy Davidson, who's a student at Richmond Graduate University, I figure if I'm going to talk about wonderful counselor, I probably should ask a counselor uh, questions like, what to you is the beauty in counseling? Where do you find life in your world? And he says, he responded with John 4, the woman at the well, the story of this woman uh, riddled with shame. And what he says about that story in the text he responded back was, beauty is something I'm still discovering. So far, I'm enamored with the power of truly listening. Jesus allows this woman riddled with shame to be heard instead of condemned. Jesus first listens to the woman. How difficult it is to put yourself in someone else's shoes and see and feel the world from their perspective. What Advent includes and entails and displays is Jesus being the wonderful counselor who gives it. That's the kind of counseling he is there's not this condemnation that we feel so often in the church or from other Christians that we are something else other than their perfection. Because the, the counseling and, and the person of Jesus comes in the form of a birth just like us. To offer hope in a situation that we feel. In Isaiah's day in the gloom and darkness and our day of gloom and darkness. Compassion with full immersion in Jesus who Jesus is. So if we know we need it, and, and we see what kind of counseling it is, of truth, uh, of being wonderful, and also uh, of counselor, tears, why his counseling? Why, why Jesus above um, escapism or, or therapy? Why him? Isaiah says there is gloom, anguish, and contempt. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has shone light. John opens up his gospel, and he says the words, in him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was light to all of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Both Isaiah and John are talking about this person of Jesus promised to come and bring life, but also address this darkness. In life, in light, darkness is addressed. Because to know Jesus is to know someone, not just who went to a cross to address our sin, though he did, but to know someone who came to know us fully. He's a wonderful counselor because he knows and comes so that we may be fully known by him. But him, as a wonderful counselor, to be known and loved and accepted. Luke 2 is a very common Christmas story. We hear of the nativity scene at the beginning of Luke 2, but later on, just after that, there's a scene of the eight-day-old Jesus being brought to the temple like everyone did in that day. They're brought to the temple to be circumcised. And as this eight-day-old is being brought to the temple, he comes into contact with two people in the temple. 
One is Simeon. And Simeon is this man who the Lord said to him, you will not die until you see the Messiah come. Right? You won't die until my son comes. And there's another person, Anna. Anna is a widow, and she prays, and she fasts in the temple, and she worships God. So both these figures are in the temple, and when Simeon sees this eight-day-old Jesus come into the temple, Simeon grabs the baby, and he says to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of your people Israel. Simeon sees this eight-day-old and says, This is the one. He's the one who has wisdom. He's the one who will bring light and power to the people. And just after this, Anna, the widow who worships the Lord in the temple, sees Jesus, and it says later on, these verses later, coming up to them, that is, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to redemption in Jerusalem, which is a saying, she told everyone about Jesus. She told everyone who needed to know about Jesus, about Jesus. Those who longed to have a Redeemer come. People who longed for redemption. Surely you and I are people that are longing for something of hope in these next few weeks. People are longing for redemption because something has happened. Simeon says, Jesus is the personification of truth and wisdom. And Anna says, Jesus is this one who is gentle. And he will bring redemption to people who very much so need it. So, we need it. And he's full of power and truth and grace and tears. But how do we get to know this wonderful counselor in this Advent season? It's hard to celebrate someone if you don't know fully their love for you. It's hard to know someone and celebrate them if you don't know of their love for you. But secondly, he is a wonderful counselor. And there is no such thing as good counseling, really, that isn't a two-way street. That isn't this idea of speaking to a counselor and the counselor just speaking to you. So, how do you get to know the wonderful counselor? Do you talk to this counselor? Do you give your words and your darkness and your gloom and your experience to him? What does it sound like? But also, do you listen to this wonderful counselor? Remember, listening is not just simply ears, it's this heart thing. So where in your heart do you need the balm of the wonderful counselor speaking life and light into your darkness? Please know Jesus. Jesus is preparing to go to the cross in John 16, and he's telling his disciples, it's good that I go, because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit with me. And see. And he says this, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. And that day, you will no longer ask me anything. 
Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive it, and your joy will be complete. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is saying to a people who are about to lose their best friend, take heart, I have overcome the world. Where in your life do you need to hear the wonderful counselor say, take heart, I've overcome the world. Take heart, I've overcome the darkness you feel of loneliness that you feel next few weeks at college. Of deep, sorrowful loss of the empty chair that you will experience, you did a few days ago, and you will in a few weeks. The deep pain of, of someone abandoning you, hurting you. The deep pain you yourself have abandoned someone else. Take comfort. I don't know what you need in the next few weeks, but the wonderful counselor does. And he says to his friends before he dies, ask anything in my name and I will give it to you so your joy may be complete. Where are you lacking in joy that you want the wonderful counselor? This one in Isaiah 9 that Isaiah promises to, to address this gloom, darkness, and anguish. To address your gloom, anguish, and darkness. That's who he is. That's why Christmas is this beautiful season of this one coming in both truth and tears to address the very thing that we need. Where in your heart do you need to know God's deepest desire is to be with you as a wonderful counselor? sorrow in our life that if we were with you now, we could say if you had been here, this would not have happened. And Lord, maybe you would respond to us, reminding us of truth that you are the resurrection and life. Truth about yourself. Or maybe, Lord, you would remind us of how you get in the pit of us. And that you would weep with us. Lord, in both truth and tears, we see you as a wonderful counselor. Because, Lord, in your truth and in your tears, you address the gloom and darkness of our lives in Christmas season, the Advent season of 2019. Take heart of your bed. Take heart of the next foot in front of you. When it's hard to fight anger and resentment, when it's hard to feel joy, Just like the people in Isaiah needed to hear that you are greater than the darkness, Lord, we need to hear that this very day. Because you are a wonderful counselor who is compassionate because you have had a full immersion into the condition of being human. And that is good news for us.